0: Hello and welcome to the Bank to Rights podcast. My name is Pete Murray. I'm a lecturer in multimedia journalism here at Manchester Metropolitan University and I'm joined here in the MMU newsroom by my colleague Dave Porter. Hi Dave. Hi Pete. And on the line by Jeremy Craddock. Hi Jez. Hi, Pete. Now, on the cards this week, we have the broadcast regulator Ofcom sticking its oar into the Naga racism route at the BBC. Prince Harry joining his wife in taking legal action against not just one newspaper, but two this time, over phone ha- phone hacking allegations. And we'll also dig into, well, what's called the Wagatha Christie saga. Jez, tell us what that's all about. Y- yeah,
1: I have to say, uh, the, the sub-editor in me absolutely, um, you know, Laughing my head off at the the Christie headline. I just thought it was brilliant. But, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, I think, Broke yesterday, um, a story about Colleen Rooney, who um, has basically made this uh, amazing claim um, that uh, Rebecca Vardy has been... Um, um, releasing stories about her to the Sun and it it sort of came about that uh, I think Colleen suspected that somebody on her private Instagram account had been uh, you know releasing or leaking uh, information and stories about her to the to the press so she took this incredible step of turning detective and uh, I think blocking everybody on on her Instagram account apart from the person she suspected, and sort of laid down red herring stories, fake stories, to see whether these would appear in, in the in the sun as well. And uh, according to Colleen, this happened, and she she unmasked Rebecca Vardy yesterday, in her view, as, as the culprit. Yeah,
0: some proper um, some proper sleuthing. I mean, I think MI five yeah. and MI six would be proud of her.
1: <laughs> yes, you, you do wonder whether she's taken advice on how to how to approach this, or whether it's you know come from her own, you know, initiative, really. Um, But, yeah, it throws up um, lots of uh, interesting uh, points about privacy, doesn't it? And I noticed today that Rebecca Vardy says she's taking uh, legal action or she's consulting with her legal team. Yeah. So there's potential you know it, there could be a, a defamation case here down the line it's uh,
0: it's it's fascinating stuff isn't it and and yeah. you know the it's interesting how the newspapers have been kind of caught up in the wake of this row that they mm. you know they've they've been publishing the stories obviously but i guess i guess publishing them in good faith
1: yes ex- exactly um i did read this morning that the son have taken down um one of the stories that's that's Colleen says is, is fake, so they're obviously um, you know very uh, mindful of uh, of that. So they've they've taken action.
0: Yeah. While we're on fake stuff or or allegations of fake news, I just um, wanted I noticed yesterday that the Ministry of Justice tweeted a video promoting uh, a, a consultation that they're running into deep fake videos um, in in consultation with with the, the kind of legal establishment. Um, let me just play a little bit of that.
2: Consent. And yes. unless you have it, don't do it. Cyberflasher, revenge porn and the
0: deep
2: we will consider as part of the law. law commission's review. To make sure there are no gaps in the laws, protecting people from intimate images being taken, made or shared, online without consent.
0: And you'll notice the the audio on that is kind of shockingly poor, but I think that's kind of the point, that it's sort of about manipulating audio, manipulating pictures, Mm. and manipulating video. So it's about deep fake videos, it's about revenge porn, and they're running this consultation because I guess they and many people in the legal establishment think that the the law at the moment is just not up to the task. So they're aiming mostly at the Criminal Justice and Courts Act of 2015, Section 33 of that, but also some, some other legislation that I guess is pretty much out date and, and predates the the, uh, the this kind of current wave of of uh deep fake videos and so on and, and the the malicious communications act 1998 and the communications act of 2003 so we're expecting a result of this consultation in spring next year they say mm-hmm. um so we'll, we'll see what comes of that i'll keep my eyes on, on that and just see if there is anything coming up from it um dave you what's, what's caught you right this week
2: um, a good Section 11 uh, example in the Guardian at the weekend of a premiership footballer who had been, uh, I suppose, caught in a sting, went to a hotel to have an extra marital or certainly some kind of tryst and uh, found allegedly two people um, trying to blackmail him. Uh, after he ran off. Uh, in fact, they were cleared, so I should make that very clear. Mm-hmm. But the point of the, what's well a good example is the, the footballer was not named, and uh, it was obviously down to a section 11. Um, contempt of court act which as we know is there to protect such victims and to ensure that the court the integrity of the court system is in place and that potential victims of blackmail and other similar offenses feel free to come forward uh save from the knowledge that you know the case will be heard but actually parts of the private life will remain that and they can have a degree of anonymity so yeah it's nice to have a real case and uh they don't come up very often so um yeah really good but, the, you know, they don't come up that
0: often. But actually, there's another one that I think is worth mentioning. That's the story in the Manchester Evening News this week and elsewhere, which the, skiller, the killer of the schoolboy, Yousef Mackey, was publicly named for the first time as Josh Molnar. Listeners will remember the high-profile case from last March, where 17-year-old Yusuf Mackey was fatally stabbed by his friend Molnar in the Trafford suburb of Hale-Barnes. Molnar was 17 at the time of the killing and throughout his trial when he was acquitted of murder and manslaughter by a jury after insisting that he'd acted in self-defence. Various stories in the MEN and crucially in the Sunday Times magazine and the Daily Telegraph had described how his mother says Molnar is haunted by the images of his friend dying in front of him. Of course, the reason that the paper can say all this now is that he's just turned 18 on Tuesday, in fact. And so the Section 45 order, which had protected his anonymity as a juvenile, expired. Although it's important to note that the Sunday Times secured the agreement of the court and the Molnar family to ask for the anonymity to be lifted a couple of days ahead of his birthday. Um, so they could run the story at the weekend and effectively scoop all the others. So mm. quite a good run yeah, by them. Yeah, really good do.
2: journalism. And um, obviously thought ahead to when he was coming to, be to the age of consent, so to speak. Uh, and as you say, it um, the, lift, the order would have been lifted anyway, unless, of course, a 45A was put into place, which is pretty unusual. Yeah. Um, great journalism, good example of uh, somebody, uh, a juvenile who then turns 18. Um, similar in a way. Go back a couple weeks ago to the um, Tate Modern incident, where the young boy was allegedly thrown uh, from there, young French lad, and uh, and then the the defendant has now been named in as he in fact turned eighteen, so. Um, f- from a news perspective um it's a boon and also from the Times perspective it's just good journalism
0: yeah yeah I mean hats off to David James Smith for forgetting the yes. story and it's pretty complete I mean it, um it's it both sides of the both sides of the story both families mm. he's spoken to in, in, in some detail yeah. although the um uh, the uh, the Mackey family I think in the piece oh no actually both families I think this is right. say this is their their first and only interview sure. on on, on on this element of the story at any rate. But, uh, so, yeah, and one of the other things is there's a boy only known at the moment as, as Boy B, who's also in the case, who was, who was uh, detained for possession of a knife in this incident. So we'll keep an eye on that side of the story mm, as well, cheers. so that there may be an update on that uh, at a later date. Um, but, but, Jez, uh, we mentioned at the top of the show there, Prince Harry's tipped a bucket of lighter fuel over what we might have <laughs> thought was the dying embers of the phone hacking route.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it's been a you know a very busy week uh, in terms of Prince Harry um, issuing statements in relation to the press. Because um, this came, I think, about twenty-four hours after the announcement in relation to Meghan Markle's yeah. um, legal uh, claim against the Mail on Sunday in relation to the story about her private letter. But th- this one came uh, straight after it. Uh, Prince Harry um, plan at. Uh, Launching a, a class action against the the Sun and the Mirror in relation to, to phone hacking allegations. Um, from what I can see, that these these allegations could go back a long way, and even back to prior to Princess Diana's death. Um, so it's obviously going to rake over a lot of uh, you know old um, coals, and could have a lot of uh, it could have a lot of implications in terms of uh, former newspaper editors and employees who may be starting to worry about what may be dragged up but also raises the question about you know will Prince Harry give evidence in court and what will the position be around that yeah so, cause it would be so an
0: interesting problem for him really that you know if the if the defense in effect in this case were, were to say well we want to hear from Prince Harry we want to hear the allegations um, in front of the court
1: yes yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's we've never had that situation before. haven't with we? no. a royal giving evidence in court, so um, I, th- I think there's probably a lot to be uh, hammered out yet before, ahead of this uh, this hearing.
2: Yeah, Dave, where do you think it's going to go? Um, I think it's. Ri- well, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water, post-Leverson, post-hacking, yeah. uh, I think it's obviously uh, strategic. they thought about this long and hard. Uh, I think Jim Madsen made a good point in the Guardian by saying they may win this particular battle, but they may not win the war. And um, I think, as probably Joe said, the, the prospect of royals appearing in, in, in person in court is going to be quite an unprecedented uh, event. And um, But actually, the... Harry's obviously determined to take on, to some degree, uh, press intrusion in the media, and I think, you know, we're perhaps in a climate where that sort uh, the judiciary b- would be more sympathetic to them, um, and certainly public opinion. So it's quite a shrewd move, and it's obviously calculated, so time will tell. Yeah. When we talking about winning battles and
0: losing wars and so on, I sort of go back to the story I mentioned at the top of the show again. The broadcasting regulator Ofcom has intervened in the row over whether the BBC breakfast presenter Naga Munchetty broke the corporation's impartiality rules in that during that unscripted discussion with a co-presenter, Dan Walker, over racist pre- tweets by President Trump. Now, Ofcom said it doesn't think her comments did break the rules. It's also revealed this week that it received 18 complaints about the initial decision by the BBC editorial complaints unit. Now, notably, that's 17 more complaints than the BBC ever received about the red couch conversation in the first instance. Ofcom's criticised the board for what it says is a lack of transparency over why the complaints board launched the investigation in the first place, presumably because Ofcom thinks the board was wrong to act on the basis of a single complaint from a viewer. Mm. It also criticises, crucially I think, a lack of transparency about how the board reached that decision and then why the Director General, Lord Tony Hall, overturned it and they want the BBC to explain all of that and so that too may end up put put the BBC in quite a lot of trouble. I mean it's it, Yes, it's kind of as clear as mud at this stage, but it, it could get a lot worse. Um, the claim, the Complaints Board really seem to have got their wellies stuck in it right at the minute, Dave.
2: Yeah, I would say so. And I think it's a case of you know the historic uh, nature of BBC not coming under Ofcom for quite a number of you know, for, for the long period of its uh, existence and wanting to still retain some of that control, which is fair enough. Obviously, we have their internal um, Investigatory bodies uh, and regulations, but I think in this instance, if there 's just been what appears to be a breakdown in you know communications and uh, the way that this is run, and I think it 's going to be revisited, and that relationship with Ofcom will have to be you know um, properly laid out for both parties because otherwise, uh, as you say. One one complained. was investigated. It, they they, they turn back on that. Then Ofcom got involved. It's just a bit of a mess, actually. And um, the demarcation, I think, is the, is what's the issue here. Is who is in place to to reach a decision.
0: Yeah, and it's, we are kind of jetted in a bit of a Groundhog Day thing, because you mentioned this last week when we were talking about mm-hmm. this initially, about how maybe the time has come for the BBC to sort of update some of those um, impartiality rules in the light of different audience perceptions of what constitutes impartiality at all. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And uh, you think about the, the nature of this programme, this this was a, a more of a magazine flavour um, uh, news programme compared to, say, the news at 10 and i suppose to any onlooker who's maybe a layman it must be co- really confusing to think well what is impartial um and you've got you've got almost got t- you know too many cooks spoiling the broth here with the with the bbc's complaints unit you've got ofcom weighing in lord hall reversing the original decision so there's i think there's a need for some uh, clarification here on what you know what's what sort of situation what what context um do we apply impartiality Um, So I think, yeah, it's bringing things to a head, isn't it? And uh, going forward, it'll be interesting to see, you know, uh, what the BBC does in reaction to this.
0: Yeah, and I guess ever since the, well, ever since the the Jimmy Savile scandal, there has been this kind of turf war going on between the BBC and Ofcom. um, And this is, you know, this is the Ofcom sort of pushing into the salient, really, aren't they? Mm. to To try and get some traction on that whole thing.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah. And I and I guess I guess you know Ofcom regulates you know commercial television you would never really get this circumstance would you in that in that position really so it, the BBC's in a, a uniquely uh, in a unique position really in relation to this. Yeah. So, well,
0: we'll see how that comes, we'll see what happens with that. I'll keep an eye out certainly for when, if and when the BBC responds to this uh, request from Ofcom for more detail on on exactly how the decision was made to go to the complaints unit and and then Tony Hall's reversal of the decision and so on. But before we go this week, I wanted to mention that we're thinking about running future episodes, maybe once a month, as a sort of question time session where you ask us the questions and we get a proper discussion going if you and we'll do that probably where we are just now in in the newsroom at mmu where we can get people we can get students and and maybe other members of staff to come in and we we'll, if you think that's a goer let, do let us know on twitter at Rights bang and remember you can also tell us what you think about the naga munchetti row on, on twitter um, and, uh, and any of the other stories we're, we're covering. Do tweet at us if there are issues that you'd like us to cover in future episodes. But before we go to wrap up for this week, Dave, Jez, what's coming up for the students in the classes in the next couple of days? Well,
2: today, the second year, uh, we've been doing the court system, so we're getting a visit from the magistrate, who's going to explain exactly what they do on a day-to-day basis. And on top of that, if that wasn't enough, icing on the cake, we're actually going to go across to our... Our uh, friends in the law department and use the courtroom, which they use to train solicitors and barristers, and show them actually uh, the layout of a courtroom. Yep. So um, we we went there last
0: uh, year for Vanta uh-huh. Rights. So I'll I'll put uh, a link to that episode in there so you can hear uh, what what goes on in there. Jess, what have you got coming up?
1: Yeah, well, uh, level six is in law and ethics. We've done privacy for a couple of weeks. We've done uh, defamation uh, risks in court reporting. But next week, we've got the delights of uh, data protection to look forward to.
0: Great stuff. So I've got, some, I've got some of my MA class actually coming into the newsroom right now because we're going to be doing the uh, defamation as well and uh, responses to defamation and how to avoid it and so on. So really, that's, the, I guess, the most important part of it. But um, anyway, for, for the moment, thanks both. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher. Just search for Bang to Rights there. And you'll also find us on the MMU Northern Quota SoundCloud feed. That's all one word, MMU Northern Quota. But for the moment, we have been Bang to Rights. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Jez. Thanks, Pete. And thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.